Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode. So for this week I wanted to talk about something that I see coming up again and again and again in recovery spaces and that is comparison. And this could be things such as food comparison, could be body comparison, it could be recovery comparison where you might compare how your recovery is looking like and feeling like or how long it's taking to someone else's. Or you might be someone in recovery who just cannot help but compare yourself to someone in your life. It could be a friend, it could be a family member, it could be someone on social media. And what is very interesting with the eating disorder is that the eating disorder will tend to use comparison as a tool to stay overdue. So for instance, you might have a friend or a family member who eats very unrestricted and don't really bother caring too much about their food, is not hyper-focused on you know, their body, and that your eating disorder will just very conveniently ignore. Whilst that family member or that person online or that friend or whatsoever that is hyper-focusing on their food and on their body, that is what you will zoom into. I tend to call this selective mirroring. I don't even know if it is a term or if it's something I made up, but I do use it. Basically means that people with eating disorders tend to mirror people, but they tend to mirror selectively. And they tend to mirror things that actually agrees with the eating disorder and kind of seek out things to mirror that can justify the eating disorder staying overdue and rationalize disordered behavior. When I talk to those who are around someone with an eating disorder, for instance, partners, family members, uh, friends, etc., etc., I tend to make them aware of this phenomena of mirroring and also about like selective mirroring and how the person with an eating disorder tend to mirror things that, you know, justify the eating disorder rather than justify recovery. So I always tell them, hey, try being a good mirror for the person with an eating disorder, but also be aware that they're more likely to mirror your bad behaviors when I say bad, I mean things such as like food restriction, going on diets, disordered behaviors, rather than the good healthy behaviors such as food freedom, body neutrality, etc, etc. This can of course be very frustrating for those on the sidelines. So imagine you are, for instance, the friend of someone with an eating disorder, and you're going to meet this person with an eating disorder for lunch, and you just had a massive meal. So when you get to the, to the spot where you're going to have lunch, you're not that hungry and you order a salad. And then the person with an eating disorder will be like, aha, you're ordering a salad. Okay, that means that I should also order a salad even though I actually did want the pizza. And this boils down to comparison because the eating disorder loves comparison, but it also compares selectively, aka what I call selective mirroring. So essentially an eating disorder will copy someone's disordered behavior and ignore their healthy behavior. And if you're someone with an eating disorder listening to this, which I assume a lot of you are, I want you to be aware of this little, can you say cognitive bias that is going on with the eating disorder, where you will be more likely to pick up on someone's disordered behavior or even behaviors that are necessarily disordered, because it can literally be that they ordered a salad because they just had food. You know, it can, it's not necessarily always disordered, but you will interpret it as disordered. Be aware that you're more likely to mirror these behaviors, zoom in on those behaviors, remember those behaviors, than the healthy, normal, relaxed behaviors of someone. And it's interesting because when I work with people eating disorder one-on-one, very often what they say is, oh, but everyone is dieting. And then I ask them, okay, who is dieting? And then... 
when we actually look at it, most of the people in their lives aren't actually necessarily dieting, but there is like one or two people. And then as a result, that minority becomes the majority. Of course, there are some people who genuinely are in families or environments where there is a lot of dieting and where there is a lot of eating disorders. But I'm just saying in general, I do see that people with eating disorders tend to kind of overestimate this amount and sometimes also misinterpret things. So for instance, now if I go for lunch with a friend and the friend orders just a small salad, I will assume that they just ate and aren't that hungry. But if I had gone for lunch with a friend a few years ago, or many years ago actually, when I was in the active phase of my eating disorder and a friend ordered a small salad, I would have panicked and been convinced that they are on a diet or developing an eating disorder or that there was some kind of thing going on. This does not mean that it is impossible that the friend is on a diet or is developing an eating disorder. Of course that's a possibility, but it is just not the quick conclusion that my brain will draw to immediately. Whilst when, when I had my eating disorder, that was just a natural conclusion of everything and everyone, you know? At one point I literally thought my dog had an eating disorder. I'm not joking. <laughs> I'm not joking. I thought my dog had an eating disorder and I was annoyed because she was just way too thin. <laughs> like, I look back at it now and I laugh, but it was dead serious in the moment. I was comparing myself to a dog. <laughs> and you know what? I'm not the only one who has been comparing myself to actual animals because I've heard so many people with eating disorder says the same thing, that they've been annoyed at their cats or dogs <laughs> because they have been triggered by them. <laughs> and I'm not laughing to mock it. I'm laughing because I think laughing about the bizarre things an eating disorder can make us think and do is actually really healing. It's really cathartic, right? So if you have been engaging in this behavior, you're not alone. But let's take this as an indicator of just how absurd an eating disorder is and how you should always take it with a big grain of salt. So what do you do when you find yourself comparing yourself to other people in your life or on social media when it comes to things like food, body and exercise. I want to separate this into two. First is comparing yourself to people in recovery, people with eating disorders, and the other one is comparing yourself to people who don't necessarily have eating disorders. They could be disordered maybe in some ways, but just comparing yourself just in general to people in society. Let's start with recovery comparison. A very common one is comparing bodies in recovery where someone else is recovering into a body that you deem better than yours, you know, and better here often means thinner. And that's the first thing to unpack. Why do you see thinner as better? Or better in your head might mean, you know, certain proportions, you know, a certain body shape, you know, a certain amount of muscle mass, you know, I do see that a lot of people have different body ideals and a different idea of what is a, an ideal body after recovery. But overall, it does tend to align quite a bit with what is, you know, the societal ideal. And I want to remind you that other people's bodies are none of your business. So let's take an example. You see someone who's recovered from an eating disorder, but they look very thin to you. And in your head, you're almost like, why are they allowed to be recovered and be thin? Why can't I do this? Why are they allowed and not me? First of all, you know nothing about their recovery. 
you don't know if they are actually fully recovered. And if they are suppressing their own natural body weight, they are the ones who are going to suffer the consequences for it. Please don't take social media too seriously because you never know what's going on in someone's lives and with someone's bodies. You just don't. I think recovery can become almost a performance and people want to have like the perfect recovery to show off and you know that their recovery fit this perfect societal ideal but you don't always know that they are speaking the truth. Very often people are just showing the image they feel like they must show because they are also you know living under a society with a lot of pressures. If you yourself feel all of these pressures It isn't really fair to assume that nobody else does, right? People also feel these pressures that you're feeling about, you know, having the perfect recovery. But second of all, I also want to remind you that all bodies are different. So if this person is someone whose natural set point weight range is just in the lower end, then that's their body. But if your body is not naturally in that weight range, then for you, maintaining that body size would mean being in fight with your body and your hunger and your health for the rest of your life. And this person, if this is their natural set point weight, they are fine on that weight. But that doesn't mean that you could be. Just like we all come in different heights, we also come in different sizes, right? This is just such a fundamental part of humanity and it's a beautiful thing. And there is no one thing that's better than the other. This is all just socially constructed by big companies to sell things. Diet culture is an industry and it sells. And the genius of diet culture is that dieting has a 95% failure rate, so it creates repeat customers. And I actually do have a degree in marketing, so I see right through this, and it's such an obvious thing. And I think it is completely unethical, but it does make sense from a marketing perspective. They're basically creating an ideal, and if you don't fit it, you can buy yourself into it. Of course you can't, because it doesn't work, you can't fight your natural biology, but it gives you this illusion of a control. I also want to remind you that a lot of people are editing their pictures to make themselves look thinner. And yes, this also happens in recovery spaces. Again, I have a degree in marketing and part of what we learned, we learned about, you know, photo editing and all of these things. So I can very quickly see if someone has edited their pictures. It doesn't really take me much to see it and I'm very aware of it. But I also know that a lot of people don't have that awareness, right? So essentially it's all fake. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very fake. And let's not forget posting. And oh my god, I am guilty of this as well. I honestly think most of us are. The exception might be the people who do these like post versus unpost pictures. But they are kind of creating a body by posting as well. (laughs) They're saying unpost, but they're like hunching their backs. That's still a pose, right? Anyways, I could talk a lot about that. It's just important to remember that bodies move and bodies change depending on how you're sitting and standing and depending on the angle. Even something like camera lens is really, really crucial in terms of how a picture turns out. And this is why you might look so different in the phone front camera versus in your mirror. It is not just in your head, it is actually the lens capturing you very differently. But instead of me focusing like, oh, they're not really that thin, because I think that can sometimes be a little bit of an underlying message in some of these conversations and in some of this content, I rather want to, you know, 
make the conversation about the fact that it doesn't matter if they're that thin or not. It does not matter. It's their body. You have your body. Someone else's body don't make your body better or worse. Because we are not in competition. There is no price here. Everybody is different and everybody in recovery is different. And it is also completely okay to unfollow people if their body is triggering you. That's fine. So for example, imagine you are a plus size person in recovery and you kind of want to fill your social media feeds with bodies that look like yours. That's completely fine. And you are free to unfollow me as well. I'm not a plus size person and I am someone who is, you know, I, I recovered into... Uh, a normal weight but would be considered by society a slim body and I'm aware of that and I always tell people that if that is something that really you know creates a reaction in them I encourage people to you know take a step back and unfollow the good news of course is that as you become more stable in your own recovery seeing other bodies who are different than yours and maybe thinner than yours won't disturb you in the same way so for instance you might go through a phase in your recovery where everyone thinner than you just triggers you massively but then as you fully recover you might barely even notice it anymore or you might notice but not really care and I want to remind you because yes I do have some people who will try and body compare to me sometimes very directly and other times they'll be more indirectly by you know asking me sometimes quite intrusive questions about my body and sometimes even accusatory questions about my body which can become very uncomfortable and I want to remind you that I'm in this body not because I'm doing anything in particular I'm just in this body because this is my body this is just my natural range. I'm not following some kind of diet or strict exercise regime to stay where, I'm, where I am. This is just where my body wants to be. It's just my range, right? And in the same way, you need to find your range. And if I was just full of BS and I was just lying to everyone on social media and I was secretly like running on the treadmill for three hours per day and living off of chicken and broccoli, then guess who would suffer the consequences of that? Me. <laughs> not you, I would be the one who would suffer the consequences. I sometimes feel like the underlying message in a lot of this is why is this person allowed to engage in disordered behaviors that I'm not allowed to engage in? And first of all, you're allowed. You can engage in as many disordered behaviors as you like without anyone really punishing you for it or taking legal action against you or anything like that. I mean, if you are forced impatient, there might be some differences, but you're allowed to engage in your eating disorder behaviors, but that doesn't mean that you should, because you obviously know that it's not really working for you. And if it was working, would you be here listening to a recovery podcast? And this way of thinking was actually something that helped me quite a lot in my own recovery when I was faced with, you know, people who would, you know, engage in, you know, food restriction or restricting certain food groups, people with or without eating disorders. I would basically remind myself that, okay, yeah, technically, I can also do that, technically, but I would have very negative, adverse consequences by doing that. So if you see someone who is supposedly recovering through fitness or some kind of raw veganism journey or whatsoever, and they're claiming that they're fully recovering from it, first of all, chances are they're not. But second of all, even if they were, would you? 
Because I know for myself, that kind of recovery would not work for me. And it would not work for the majority of people that I talk to in recovery. So does it even matter if they're recovering or not? It matters, does that form of recovery work for you? And once you shift the mindset from being almost like, <laughs> almost like a police, like a recovery police who's going there to see who's really recovering, who's not, you know, who's doing what, who's eating this, who's weighing that. Instead, stay in your own lane. And focus on you and what works and what doesn't work for you. So is recovery comparison always a bad thing? I'd say comparison is bad, but I'd say inspiration is not necessarily bad. And the differences between them can sometimes be a little bit tricky. So for example, you might hear a story about someone who did all-in recovery and completely letting go of their food rules and listening to extreme hunger. And you look at your own recovery and realize that you're not doing that. You've been holding yourself back. Is that comparison? I mean, you are looking at your situation and someone else's situation and think about your action as a result. So kind of. But this is actually more of a productive thing, right? Because you're seeing something you could have or you could do may work for you. And this is the key part. When you're looking at someone who's engaging in something that you know clearly is not going to work for you. For instance, they are engaging in, like I said, raw veganism, going to the gym four hours a day. You know very well within yourself that is not going to take away your eating disorder then comparison is probably not a good thing. But if you see someone who are engaging in recovery promoting behaviors and that this inspires you to engage in similar recovery promoting behaviors that you know are good for you, then yeah, that can be kind of a positive form of comparison, I guess. But I think I like to call it inspiration rather than comparison. But even in those situations, I would encourage you not to get too dependent on other people. Don't get too dependent on finding some kind of recovery idol who you're just going to copy the moves of. Because this recovery idol is just a person and sooner or later this person will do something that you disagree with or who maybe don't work with you. So for example, you might realize that this recovery person turned out to be vegetarian and now you're freaking out about the fact that you're not vegetarian. You know that your reasons for vegetarianism is more comparison related, even though you're probably trying to convince yourself it's not. And then you look at this person, you're just like, oh, well, but they are a recovery person, a recovery idol. So I'm going to do it because they can do it. Or it could be that this person recovered into a body smaller than yours. And then you're like, yeah, but they did real recovery and they're in this body. That means that my body should look like that as well. So overall, inspiration from others in recovery can be a very nice thing, but just don't get too dependent on it and be mindful that what works for someone else may not always work for you. And that is how recovery works. For instance, someone might have done cognitive behavioral therapy and loved it and then you tried it and it didn't work for you. Everyone has a different approach that works for them. I would say that there are, of course, some commonalities when it comes to recovery, some things that kind of need to be, you know, ticked off to make recovery work. And that is refeeding, meaning eating an adequate amount of calories, not only to, you know, feed your body, but also to speed up your metabolism and repair, etc., etc. So in other words, you need to eat a lot of food. This is kind of, you know, not really discussable. That's just how recovery is. And then there is, of course, rest, which I will argue for the vast majority of people is a good approach. And also weight restoration, meaning getting your body to its natural healthy set point weight range. 
not everyone in recovery needs to gain weight, but you know some do. And if you're not, if you're suppressing your natural body weight, then that is something that needs to be let go of. And of course, also rewiring, meaning challenging fears, doing the opposite of what eating disorder is telling you repeatedly. These are some factors that I would say are pretty much. You can't really, you know, skip these in recovery and expect a full recovery. But in terms of approach, there are many different ways to go ahead. So, for example, I am a coach. I'm trained in coaching. I'm also trained in CBT. And I'm currently training in psychology, doing a master's degree in psychology. And in my master's, I'm doing, you know, typical psychoanalysis, fraud and that gang. And I'm also doing, you know, more like critical psychology. I'm doing biological psychology where I'm looking in the brain. So I'm obviously trained in all of these different directions. And I can reassure you that with different clients, I will use different approaches. With some clients, I'll use more very typical textbook direct coaching. Whilst with other clients, I'll use a little bit more of an alternative approach where I might take a little bit from this and take a little bit from that. It'll be like a little bit of coaching, a little bit of CBT, a little bit of everything, sprinkle in some things there, right? Different approaches work for different people. But I'd say as long as you have those things I mentioned covered, basically food, rest, um, weight restoration, and also challenging fears, as long as you have those like four main components covered, you know, whether you like coaching or psychoanalysis kind of depends on you. Although me personally, of course, I have some ideas about what I deem the most effective and not the most effective, but that's a completely different episode. But overall, different things work for different people. And also in terms of food, because I see food comparison a lot. First of all, those recovery accounts you follow probably don't post themselves waking up at four in the morning, having a massive extreme hunger raid in the kitchen, eating 15,000 calories in 15 minutes. They don't show you that. They show you their carefully nice curated meals. Guilty as charged. Recovery is messy. It's not always pretty. It's not always the perfect picture meals. It's just not. And also there's a lot of shame around food. So very often people will feel ashamed to post, you know, that they ate a very big meal or that they had four servings of dinner. You might just post one of those servings. So it's the same thing, like I said, with body. First of all, you don't really know what a person is eating based on their social media. And even if you did, it does not matter. Would that type of eating work for you? Because this is coming from someone who used to post those picture-perfect recovery meals. I can reassure you that the time when I fully, fully recovered, fully, fully let go was when I started embracing imperfect eating and just grabbing something and not having everything looking so good. That's when I fully recovered. And then another thing that I want to talk a bit about is comparison to people without eating disorders. And a typical one here is people in recovery comparing their amount of food with people who are not in recovery. And I just want to remind you that in recovery, you actually need more food than the average person. I feel like this is not spoken about that much, you know? Like, you need more food than most people, you know? And unfortunately, some people in recovery don't eat more food than most people. They eat less food than most people and therefore and then wonder why they still feel so rigid. You need more food. <laughs> you need more food. 
So that's the first thing. You actually need more food than most people in recovery. Your plate is supposed to be more filled than those around you. And yeah, of course, we all have that friend or family member that is eating a lot so that you don't feel like you're eating more than them. But chances are there will be points where you will be eating more than those around you. And that's a perfectly normal part of recovery. Remember, you're not just eating to fuel yourself. You're also eating to repair damage, to restore weight and metabolism, to challenge yourself mentally. You may experience reactive hunger. But also I want to remind you that regardless of all of these things, you're actually allowed to eat more than other people, full stop, recover or not. It's not like, oh yeah, I'm having a double dinner portion, double serving of dinner. It's okay because I'm in recovery. And then as soon as you're out of recovery, it's like, okay, now I need to stop this. It's fine. It's okay. I still have many times where I eat more than those people around me. It's just part of life. Because your body, your stomach, your hunger is yours and yours alone. What other people eat or don't eat has nothing to do with you. And I know I've repeated that many times throughout this episode, but I think it is an important thing that can't really be repeated enough. And when it comes to comparing your body to people with or without eating disorders, because I spoke about it a little bit earlier, and I do think that also covers comparing your body to people without eating disorders. You never know why someone is the weight that they are, what is behind it, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's their natural healthy set point weight or if they're secretly on some strict diet or it does not matter. It does not matter. It's not your body. And last but not least, I want to talk a little bit about comparing when it comes to exercise. Everyone always hear like, oh, exercise is healthy. You need exercise every day or blah, blah, blah. I want to remind you again that in recovery, things are a little bit different. I did a whole episode about exercise. So if this is something you struggle a lot with, I recommend to check out the episode, which is titled Exercise and Eating Disorder Recovery. And there are basically explain why rest and recovery is so important. But again, same kind of logic here goes, you know, same kind of logic that I mentioned with body and food goes to the exercise bit as well. What someone else does with their body, how much they go to the gym, does not have anything to do with your body. Yeah, it could very well be that Sally from the office started lifting weights and she's feeling so good about her body. But if you're in recovery from an eating disorder, you know the gym is a triggering place for you. And also you know that your muscles are broken down already and in desperate need of rest. That doesn't mean that you should go to the gym just because Sally is doing it. In the same way that, you know, if someone is allergic to oranges and I eat an orange and I say, oh, orange is good, has vitamin C in it doesn't mean that they should go eat an orange because they're allergic to oranges, right? Health is relative and health is individual. What is healthy for some can be unhealthy for others. And in eating disorder recovery, the healthiest choice is usually the choice that challenges your eating disorder the most. Because an eating disorder is an illness and health means, you know, no illness. And challenging the eating disorder, challenging the illness, reduces the illness, meaning makes you healthy. So redefine your view about health and healthy in general. And remember, stay in your own lane. Focus on you. You can take inspiration from other people if that helps. Don't get too dependent on that either. If you have someone in your life who's having a very healthy relationship with food or body, course it can be great to look at that and feel inspired and feel happy and feel feel like it's nice to eat around them 
but don't get so dependent on it because you can't fully rely on the fact that other people like what they're doing with their food and body you can't rely on that because that one person might one day just be full and want a salad and then what are you going to do so again inspiration not comparison and now to a listener question and the question is can you detail a day in the life when recovering exercise meals thoughts and the answer to that and this sounds so harsh, <laughs> but I think this person knows that it is not harsh uh, and knows what I mean. But the answer is no. <laughs> Gosh, why do I feel so strict when I say like, no? <laughs> but here's the reason why. The reason why I won't do that is because of everything I've spoken about in this episode. The comparison. For example, if I were to share, you know, every meal that I ate in recovery, I know that there's always going to be that one person who finds something about that to compare themselves with or to interpret my meal in a very, what can I say, interesting way. For example, imagine I post eating whole grain toast with peanut butter, right? Then I know there's always going to be one person who's like, oh... Amalia is eating whole grain. That means that white bread is bad. You, you see where I'm coming from here? And the same thing goes for exercise. You know, I remember it was like, I think this was like a few years ago. I mentioned that sometimes I go for a walk. And then I remember I got people messaging me. How long is this walk? When do you go? Like a lot of details about this walk. And I realized the reason people were asking were that people wanted to compare themselves with me so that they could walk in the same way as me. And obviously these people who message were people with eating disorder, people in recovery. And essentially, imagine if I had said, oh, I walk for, you know, let's say I walk for 15 minutes every day. Then I know that this person with an eating disorder who would message me would probably interpret that as, okay, I need to walk a minimum of 15 minutes every day because that's what Amalia is doing. So that is why I avoid too much details. I will sometimes share, and I did when I was in my own recovery, sometimes share things such as, you know, if I just had a nice meal, just had some pancakes, I would post that, right? But I'm very careful with, you know, sharing too much details about it. I'm not saying it's exclusively unhelpful. I remember, for instance, my colleague Danny. she shared what she would eat in a day when she was going through extreme hunger. And the reason why she was doing that was just to destigmatize extreme hunger and eating thousands and thousands and thousands of calories and just to show, hey, it's normal. So there's, of course, nuance here. But overall, I tend to be very careful to, with, you know, sharing too much information about, you know, food, movement, body, weight, all of these things, just because I know how it can be misinterpreted and I know how people can be triggered by it. And I don't think it is helpful. And I sometimes get, you know, quite invasive questions about, you know, for instance, if I post, let's say I post a meal, I will get very, like very strange, invasive questions about the meal, about like the details, how much did I use of this? How much did I use of that? Did I eat the whole thing? And same thing goes for instance, if I post that I'm out walking, feeding the ducks or something, I'll get questions like, how long was the walk? How quickly did you walk? You know, are you doing this every day? I, first of all, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable because it feels very invasive, but I know why people are doing it. I know that, that there are people who are unwell and want to compare themselves and I'm not engaging in it. 
and I am not engaging in it because I care about you. I care about those people. I could very easily have made, you know, a clickbaity video, what I eat in a day, how I exercise, you know, all of these things. And I know it will gotten a lot of engagement and a lot of views, but I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it because I've seen how it can be harmful. So I don't do it. And I don't do it because of compassion for people with eating disorders who might misinterpret it. And I sometimes feel like when I say this, people are going to think, oh, it's because you're secretly, you know, dieting or restricting or going to gym for three hours every day. I can just say right away, that's not the case. <laughs> not at all. Anyone who knows me knows that's not the case. But even if it was, it wouldn't have made a difference to your own recovery. And that is the whole point of this episode, which is now getting very long. But I hope you enjoyed and I hope you found it helpful. And, you know, I am very, very grateful for those of you who, you know, leave a review or share the podcast really, really helps me and makes me so happy. Tag me so I can see it because I can't see it. If not, I don't get a notification unless someone like tags me. If you just share it without tagging me, I won't know. But if you tag me, my username, I will see it. And it's, yeah, it's nice. I really appreciate you all. I will talk with you next week. So... Take care and have a lovely comparison-free week.